This is the Pet Podcast on Pets.ca, episode number 61, Boundary Training for Dogs, an interview with Tenderfoot Training. Hey there, pet lovers. How's it going? And welcome to the 61st Pet Podcast on Pets.ca. My name is Marco, and as always, we're coming to you from Montreal, Quebec, Canada. For today's show, we have a really interesting interview with Elizabeth Simpson from TenderfootTraining.com. They're one of our training experts on the board, and we love to do interviews with them. And uh, since the interview is 30 minutes long, I'm going to stop talking, and we're going to get right into it now. I'd like to welcome a really special guest to our show today. Uh, she's been on many times before and is so helpful. Today's guest is Elizabeth Simpson from TenderfootTraining.com, and we are going to discuss boundary training today. But uh, before we get into it, thanks so much as always for doing this, Elizabeth. It's always so appreciated. Oh, not at all. We'd love doing it. Awesome. So I'm sure a lot of people, you know, are not going to be familiar with what boundary training is. So can you tell us what is boundary training? Okay, so um, the way I'm going to describe it at first is in your day-to-day interactions with the world, okay, there are, you're surrounded by boundaries, and whether those boundaries are physical boundaries like doors or entryways, or it's the boundary around um, the person that you just met in, in line at, for coffee or whatever, if you really look around your world, you are surrounded by boundaries. So what we want to do is help you understand that this is relevant to a dog's world as well. And they learn it from experience with other beings, with other animals, with their environment. But if you consciously think about it, if you can actively participate in teaching your dog boundaries, then it's going to help them learn how to think about the world and about their relationship in the world more clearly. Um, A big mistake people make is that they as we've spoken in the past about, they give their dogs way too much recess to just sort of experience the world the way they want to, and they go running up to people, running up to other dogs, running up to baby bunnies, and, um, and often it can, it can end in disaster, somebody getting jumped on or barked at and frightened or the baby bunny getting hurt. So what we need to do is we need to help the dog start thinking about how they approach things in general. And what we do by doing that is setting sort of bubbles around things. I have a personal bubble that when you come up and shake my hand, you naturally respect that because it exists in our society to stand a certain distance away from somebody. And as you get to know that person and you respect each other and trust each other, then those boundaries can become smaller as we are able to sit closer together or stand closer together as we talk. But if you don't know somebody well or you don't trust them very much or respect them, you're naturally going to stand further away because that is also almost the energy that they command that you respect their larger bubble. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So what we're actually talking about, and please correct me if I'm wrong, we're really talking about invasion of personal space. Both from yes. maybe, both from maybe you know the dog invading our space, and possibly when we first get the dog or or young pup, you know our invasion of their space. I'm assuming it's a two way street. It is very much a two way street because you have to respect what is their comfort zone as well. Most troubles that come with dogs are because their personal space has been invaded. 
the person is not even, you know, wittingly understanding what's going on. They just see a nervous or upset dog, but maybe they still keep walking towards them, which is putting great pressure on that dog's personal bubble. Think of it, you know, almost like a balloon or, uh, you know, one of those soapy bubbles that if you start to put pressure on it, then the energy inside the bubble or the balloon feels that. And that's what the dog is feeling, and it makes them uncomfortable. So they try to push you back out of their zone with growling or shivering or barking or whatever their particular motive, of modus operandi, their MO, um, becomes. Like if, I, if I'm scared, maybe that'll get you to step away if I shiver and shake. But if I bark at you and growl at you, maybe that'll get you away further or faster um, because I've shown you that you're doing too much for my personal comfort zone. I'm guessing this is a very natural thing as well. And it's, I guess it's a, absolutely. you know, it's like a very, and you have to ease into this, I imagine as well, when we want to decrease, you know, uh, our space or their space, I guess you, you have to ease into it. You do. What you have to do is try to find a way to communicate with the other being. And again, whether you're talking to a dog, a horse, a parrot, a human being, you need to find those ways to communicate either your comfort or discomfort with what they're doing. So if a dog is coming too quickly towards me, and I don't know this dog, I don't know what his intentions are, um, then maybe I'm going to try and stop his forward movement towards me with some of my energy. Just like you would if, you, if a horse were running straight at you, at what point would you put your arms up in the air and go, whoa, and let him know that you are present and that you are asking for his respect for your personal bubble? You would do it when he's about at least you know, 30 feet away or further. But the problem is when dogs come running at us, and for the most part, people are very welcoming of that. They, uh, they don't stop the dog soon enough, and the dog has now got his paws on your shoulders and wiping you with mud and slobbering your face, and that's not what you wanted. So we didn't stop them soon enough to convey our message that we have a personal bubble of respect. And if they are able to be stopped, say it four feet away, and they get calm, and then you go, okay, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for calmness. So because you, the dog, got calm, I'm now going to make my bubble a little bit smaller, and I'm going to calmly invite you to come in a couple paces closer, and then maybe I'll stop you again so that you're understanding that this is a conversation that we're having. If the dog's energy gets too big when he feels like you've invited him into your bubble, then I'm going to stop him immediately because I'm going to say, oh, that was too much energy. I need you to calm down again. And so they learn that- Sorry to interrupt so, you. That's okay. How will you stop the dog? Okay. So ideally, you know, we're going to start a lot of things on leash. Okay. That's the ideal, but we don't always have that available to us. Or maybe you want to really work on your individual communication skills with your dog. So what can you do without a leash to project your energy or soften your energy so that they understand? So one way I might put it to you is if you were to set it up with your dog or your cat or your horse or your parrot or your spouse <laughs> um, so that there's a doorway, an entryway of some kind. And maybe it's, maybe it's the, the door going into your bathroom and you're tired of the dog following you into the bathroom. So you're going to go into the bathroom, but you're going to consciously, as the dog tries to follow you in, you're going to turn towards him, maybe give a little foot stomp and a little hand signal that kind of looks like a stop and stop them in their tracks at the, at the threshold. And do not hold pressure by facing them because that's confrontational. 
after you've stopped them with your energy, then you want to turn sideways, disengage, and remain calm. Then as your dog remains stopped at the threshold because he's like, whoa, what do you mean I can't come in the bathroom? <laughs> he's a little um, you're going, as he remains calm or maybe sits or maybe lays down as his way of saying, I understand, you just put a boundary there. Then you take one step into the bathroom. Can I get further into the bathroom and still have you respect my space? Does that make sense? Yeah. You're doing it slowly but surely. Yes. And you're going to have to adjust your energy according to who your dog is. If you have a nervous dog, you don't want to use too much stopping energy. You want to use just enough to get results, but not so much that you cause the dog to run, run away. You want them to kind of maintain their, their, their stance there. So you're going to work on that communication. Can I keep him stopped at the threshold while I wander around the bathroom? Which means you have to keep a half an eye on your dog. You are not staring at your dog because that alone is pressure. What you want to do is work on your peripheral vision and be able to kind of see if they have an intention to try and come across that threshold. And one of the cues that you're going to look for that is the strongest um, and probably one of the most reliable is that in order for him to make forward movement, whether he's sitting or laying down or even standing, he has to drop his head just an eighth of an inch to get that body position shifted in order to go forward into the bathroom. And so that first drop of the head is what you want to respond to because that's his first thought, his first intention to enter the room. And so you're going to stop his energy with your energy and then he'll back off and he'll calm down again. And then as you see that he's understanding you, then you might decide to invite him into the room but not all the way in, only halfway in. So you're going to calmly turn towards him, calmly bend at the waist, maybe squish down in a squatting position if you have to, depending on your dog. And you're going to kind of give him sort of this beckoning motion with your fingers and go, okay, come on in with calm energy. Let him take a couple steps and then you might choose to stop him again. So with less energy. So what you've done is you've just said, okay, my personal bubble just became smaller because you were able to show me calmness. Now you've earned coming closer to me. And then on, after you've succeeded with that smaller bubble, then you want to allow him to come all the way to you and, and have a little celebration. Oh my gosh, look what we did. This was so great. And, and look how we understood each other so subtly and just with body language, energy, and an intention. Make sense? Yeah, yeah, very cool, very cool. What type of dog? Every dog. Every dog. Every dog. dog. Every dog. So <laughs> yeah, like, because all like a young pup or a new adult dog rescue that you've just adopted. Everyone gets it. Okay. Everyone understands it because it's how they understand each other. If you watch dogs in a dog park, um, some dogs are completely disrespectful of each other's energy and their personal bubbles, and other dogs sort of throw a lot of big energy out and say, stay away from me. Don't come near me. And you see all the other dogs give them a huge bubble of respect because that particular dog show, said to them, I don't want you any closer. You're not making me comfortable. Go away. So he commanded that distance of respect. And then there's other dogs who can just sort of stand there calmly and you think they're not doing anything, but boy, all these dogs are giving him such a bubble of respect. How's he doing that? Well, he's, that's the ultimate, you know, benevolent kind leader is the one who can just stand there and everybody respects him. But every dog is different. Every person is different. We have to figure out how to communicate with our individual dog so that they understand we have these bubbles of respect around us. And the only way they can come in closer is by showing calmness 
and and paying attention, making choices about their behavior instead of just jumping up on you or leaping into your lap or bursting your bubble without your permission. Right. If we could backtrack for like 20 seconds. Um, okay. Dog to dog. Is this something that most dogs have a natural understanding of their personal space? I mean, yes. obvi- I mean oh, obviously, in, I mean, obviously in dog parks, you know, See, we hear occasionally, you know, dogs get aggressive with one another. So if oh, they yeah. if they understand their personal space, why is this happening? And does it happen frequently? Like what's, you know, why are there issues sometimes? Because dogs are not socialized well enough. A dog that lives in a pack with other dogs, and even if it's an evolving pack that's changing occasionally, like it happens at our house, um, it's, they have to learn how to live together, how to how to get along together. If I walk up to this other dog, I'm a dog, and I walk up to another dog with a bone, and that dog starts to stiffen, well, then I understand that dog is warning me, do not come closer to my bone. So if I have good social skills and I have the, the what I would call like the fine motor social skills to be able to read that stiffening, then I understand immediately I've, I'm starting to pressure this dog's bubble too much. I need to back off. Okay, and I understand that because I have experience with that, because I understand that's how to get along and find harmony in a pack. But if I'm not exposed to other dogs enough and I'm not living with other dogs on a daily basis, then those little social nuances are lost on me. I'm just not getting it. So then I'm going to push in closer to that dog with his bone and that dog is going to go, look, I warned you when I stiffened. Or I warned you when I looked away. Or I warned you by, you know, whatever I did. You're not listening. So now I have to explode in your face a little bit more to let you know you should have paid attention two seconds ago. Okay? So, but this all happens in the half of a heartbeat for the human being. We don't see it coming. We aren't paying attention. The dogs are kind of figuring it out on their own in the dog park. And, um, and we're, just not, we're just not taking those opportunities to help our own individual dogs learn better and faster. We're kind of leaving it to nature. And then it's like leaving a whole bunch of, of school kids together in the playground that have never played with school kids before. They're going to make a lot of mistakes. But yeah. the more experience we give them, the better their fine motor social skills are going to become. For sure, for sure. So again, it, it just, I mean, just makes perfect sense. You know, let's let you know young pups socialize a little more before they leave their moms so they have these innate skills. And when we're adopting them, let's teach them these skills, if, you know, or just to make sure they already have these skills, you know, personal space right. between the humans, between other dogs. It's going to be important on both levels. We have to make sure that Absolutely. they have both sets of skills. Yes, and it's our responsibility as their doggy parents to teach them those skills, to teach them to respect two-legged, to teach them to look to their person for the answers. And, and these, these little nuances that you're doing, if we go back to like the bathroom scenario, like stopping them at the threshold, what energy does it take from me? What's the least amount of energy I can give to my dog to let him know not to cross the threshold? And then when I get in there, what's the very least amount of energy I can use to invite him in and know that it's okay to come in now? And then maybe, oops, I want him out again. What's the least amount of energy I can use to move that dog out of the bathroom? So I'm always working on my fine motor social skills as well and my sensitivity to read my dog and to experience my own body language and energy. So smart. I just love it because you're, you're obviously so right. When dogs are capable of doing this with one another – 
all it takes is probably the most minute uh, muscle, you know, movement of yes. two or three muscles of an ear or an eye, and the conversation yes. has happened. You know, like yes. so, the least amount of words, the least amount of gesturing, the least amount of making a big production. It just makes yes. sense that it's the best way to go. Yes, and absolutely, the days that I choose not to speak to any of my animals, so I'm, whether I'm talking to a, a dog, a horse, a parrot, a cat, um, the days that I say I am not speaking a word to any of them, I think, oh, what have I set it myself up for? <laughs> but in the end, I end up having the best day, and we end up having the closest connection and the, and the most subtle communication, and it's, it's really eye-opening. It's absolutely wonderful. If someone has a small problem, you know, they could start small. But what if someone has a bigger problem? How do they start if they have a larger problem? Okay, you're talking so larger energy, larger dog, larger... Yes, larger energy, everything. larger dog, yeah. So there's two ways you can kind of go. One is, is the concept that I spoke of earlier. If a horse was running at you, at what point would you tell them to stop? You would make your body big and you would go, whoa, and your arms would shoot out, okay, because you're trying to get their attention with your energy as well as your tone. If you stand there and do nothing or swing your arms and go, whoa, please don't run me over, <laughs> you may okay, get it's run not going to do anything. Yeah, you're going to get run over. He's like, well, who are you? I don't take you seriously. So you have to be short, sharp, and abrupt with your energy, and you have to be with your, with your tone, okay? You have to be very abrupt with your tone and firm. So, and you might have to repeat yourself a couple times. Because maybe the horse at first is like, yeah, right, sure, you don't mean it. And we have to do it a couple times. So he goes, wow, you've been really consistent with that message. I think I'll listen. So with a dog that has too much energy or is big, um, you could use that same concept that you did with the horse. Maybe my energy has to get big. Maybe I need to really kind of chase him out of the bathroom because he's just not listening. And so I have to change what I'm doing in order to be effective. But again, I'm still trying to use the least amount of energy as possible. Or what I do is I put the dog on a leash and I use the leash to help me stop him so that the, when I turn towards him with that foot stomp and that stomp and that, and that hand signal that says stop, okay, and maybe I use the word out or stop, that leash can physically stop the dog. You don't want to hold the dog back because then you're going to have to be strong enough to forever hold that dog back because he's not choosing anything. Okay, you're just being strong enough to hold him back. But if I can use that leash to just stop him as I use my body language to reinforce it, and again, I might have to repeat that a couple times because that dog doesn't believe me yet because his experience in the world is humans are not to be respected. You get to do what you want to do to a human and ignore them. So that kind of energy, that kind of dog, you might need something like a leash to physically stop him, but you have to release the pressure on the leash instantaneously after you've stopped them. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. Because once he's okay. stopped, he's done good. Yes. Yeah. And he might challenge you and test you, so you have to be ready to do it again. Yeah. Okay? But you don't, you don't necessarily increase your energy. You don't get angry. You don't get loud. You don't get anything. You just say, nope, there's a boundary. Nope, there's a boundary. Nope, there's a boundary. And remember, with dogs, it takes three to five times of repetition and consistency for them to stop challenging you. Humans, it takes like 12 or 20. But <laughs> dogs. <laughs> dogs, it's three to five. If they respect you and you are clear and consistent. But if your dog does not respect you, you haven't been a good leader and good, clear and 
consistent, then um, they're going to challenge you 10 and 20 and 30 and 40 times because somewhere in your past relationship with this dog, you have shown them that you will quit. You have shown them that challenging you is worth it and they need to just keep doing it. So they're just thinking, oh, I just need to be more stubborn than you because I know you're going to quit. You never hold anything, you know, to anything. You don't stand behind what you say. But the more consistent you are, the more clear you are with your messages, they will go, oh, wow, you're really good about your boundaries. It's a waste of my time and energy to challenge you, so I'm just going to listen now. And they just agree much more quickly and usually three to five times. Sure. I mean, they sound like really clever infants, actually, <laughs> you know. They, but they are, but they are, they're opportunists. <laughs> yeah. They're absolutely, is there an opportunity for me to get what I want here? Yeah. And if they can take it and they see that loophole, they're going to grab it. And we're just, we're just not aware of our loopholes. We're not aware of all those little weaknesses in ourselves that show the dog that it's worth challenging us. Yeah, indeed, indeed. Just a quick one for clarification. You said they will challenge three to five times, and then they'll give up. But they may not learn in one session, right? They may like, like they may figure it out on Monday, but then you try it again on Wednesday, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't. You're still going to have to do the training on a Wednesday, like over how many times, you know, if you're consistent about this, is this something that could be solved in, uh, you know, you do it every day or you train or you try the training every second day maybe for a half an hour how long should it take before they before they get it let's say on average or okay rough, so every, rough guess. every dog every dog is different sure every human is different so to put a formula to it is going to be fairly difficult because that's like saying if you were a new skier yeah and i was to take <laughs> you on for a lesson okay and yeah. you're like well how soon can i start skiing black slopes well how often do you practice how much, how much natural athletic ability do you have? Does, do, is what I'm saying to make sense? Yeah. Are you actually out there practicing? Um, so there's a lot of factors involved. I could possibly have you on the black slopes in two or three days. Sure. But if you're not putting in your time and effort, then it's going to take a long time. So it's not, we like to talk about it's not about a half an hour a day. It's, this is a relationship. You always have personal boundaries in all of your relationships, and so do animals. So it is who you are with your dog at all times. So maybe, yeah, you're going to find lots of opportunities to practice this boundary setting, um, but naturally maybe, you know, we got a lot of dogs. I don't want all those dogs in the bathroom with me, okay? So I'm going to naturally just say, hey, go into the bathroom, everybody stay out, and they get to practice it. And maybe it's only for three seconds, and everybody did a great job, great. Okay, now I'm going to go into the kitchen. Everybody stay out. Oh, now I want this one dog to come in. And that's a fun thing, too, is if you have multiple dogs yeah. to work different messages with them. You, do, you three dogs stay out, but you singular dog, I want you to come in. We're going to do something fun. Now I'm going to send you out. Now, other dog, I'm going to have you come in, and everybody else has to wait patiently. So one dog even is allowed to enter your personal bubble while everybody else has to stay out of your bubble. And then you send that dog out of your bubble, invite somebody else into your bubble. And those can be wonderful, wonderful training tools and great opportunities. Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, it totally, it, it totally sounds like it. Just, um, just really quick question. Do you think they, in, actually, I'm sure you know the answer. Do they enjoy this? Like when you single out another dog to come into the bathroom, the whole group, you know, is, is getting attention before that one dog gets in do they enjoy this interaction even if it leads to their exclusion or is that too high level thinking 
And then I know they, they love it because it's focus, it's relationship, it's communication. Anything that gets their brain to start thinking and start going, oh, wow, she's talking to me. She, okay, she needs me to stay out now. But, boy, she's working with the other dog, and they're having fun, and I'm just going to wait patiently for my turn. And I try to include everybody. I try to give everybody a turn to come into the room. Sure. But, um, but just out of, you know, kind of fairness. But, it's, but they're not necessarily thinking that way. But they're fascinated because someone's, taking time out of their day to talk to them. How often do we just take our dogs for granted and they follow us around and they do this with us or they go lay down while we're doing something else. And we just, we tend to coexist with dogs, but more in a take them for granted kind of attitude. And anytime somebody solicits your attention and wants to talk to you, it feels good just like it does for you. I mean, if I find a conversation that we can have that's fascinating and we enjoy each other's company, you're going to want to do that again. We both are. Yeah. And so you're building on relationship and they love that. They crave it. They're like, pick me, pick me. <laughs> <laughs> Another fun game to do is at say, say a doorway um, where you're letting the dogs out. They're all eager and an- anxious to get out. Now I want to kind of plow through that door to get out. We'll make them stop a certain distance from the threshold of the door. And whether you're talking to one dog or 12 dogs, it doesn't matter. Everybody has to wait their turn until hopefully they've looked you in the eyes and said, please, can I go through the door? And then when they, they, they ask nicely, then you can calmly release them through the door. But that way everybody learns their, to wait their turn. If somebody, if my, say I have a pack of dogs outside the door, um, if somebody tries to blow it first and not wait for my instruction, then they go to the back of the line and they have to wait until everybody else is done walking through the door. So lack of patience is, means that you need to work on your patience. So I'm going to send you back and now everybody else gets to go through, but you have to wait. And when you look at me, then I get to send you through again. They're learning multiple things at once. Oh yeah. yeah. So it's fun ways of, of kind of incorporating this into games and you can make the door a game. We're going to play a game. Whoever looks at me first gets to go through the door. If you blow it, then you're going to have to go um, to the back of the line and start again. It's kind of like, I get, what is the children's game? It's like red light, green light kind of thing. <laughs> it's one of those. <laughs> and the, the beauty of it is it's not just about going through doors. It's about the sensitivity to awareness for our body language, our attitude, our intentions, our communication, and conveying that sensitivity to the dog so that we can also read them well and that we communicate at a much deeper level with a lot less drama. So interesting, so logical. It makes perfect sense. It's the it's the ongoing relationship that we should be having with our dog. And when we have this ongoing relationship, it can only get stronger and better and greater, yeah, obviously. Absolutely. And it's and it's about becoming subtle. You wanna say, Okay, I it's almost like when you're riding a horse and you're you're riding dressage, the key to dressage is that nobody sees what you're doing, but the horse is doing all these amazing things. So let's do dressage with our dogs. What's the least amount that we can do with our energy, our body language, our intentions, and accomplish the most? It's the ultimate inefficiency, I would think, right? Yes. Yeah, because that's what nature's about. Nature cannot afford to waste energy. And we're all wasting a lot of energy by not communicating very well, not being consistent, not being clear, having very wishy-washy boundaries personally ourselves, not being able to say no to anybody, not being able to state what it is you want in life. We could probably like improve our own lives just following yes. basic, you know, basic, basic relationship that we have with our dog. We, we could improve our own lives tenfold or more, I would think. That's the beauty of this, is your dog is here to teach you, but you have to want to learn. And if you have problems in your relationship with your dog, 
mm, probably got some other problems going on in your life too. <laughs> yeah, you might, you might. So interesting. I mean, everybody's got problems, but the dogs are such perfect mirrors. Yeah. They really are. Awesome. Great info as always, Elizabeth. Is there any last minute info that uh, we should know or something that uh, you really want us to, uh, to be aware of? Yeah, I, it's important to, as much as it's important to be aware of the level of energy that you're using, um, it's, your timing is also very important. Say the dog is at the threshold of the bathroom door again, and you've stopped paying attention. You got distracted. So he was successfully able to take two steps into the bathroom before you noticed. And then you say, oh, stop, and you kind of chase him out of the bathroom again. So what you just taught him was, first, you you're, have a limit to your patience and your ability to pay attention. So you've taught him that you don't pay attention well because you caught him late. Yeah. Then you also taught him that there's now a big gray area at the threshold of the door, that it's not black and white, that he's able to walk two steps into the bathroom without your permission. So what we need to do is we need to have better timing, better awareness, better sensitivity to what he's doing. Again, paying attention subtly out of the corner of your eye. But the second he is thinking about crossing that threshold, that you see that thought, that's when you have to stop him because it's going to just make it that much more clear, that much more easy for him to understand, oh, you absolutely don't want me crossing this line without your permission, instead of creating that big gray area. So the timing is everything. Timing is everything. It's kind of like when you're, when say you're out for a walk with your dog and he sees a squirrel. Well, the heartbeat that you, that you see the squirrel or you see him start to change because he saw the squirrel is the heartbeat that you have to say, leave it or stay close or heal or whatever command you're going to give. But if you wait for him to lunge forward on the squirrel or you react, his brain is so full of adrenaline and squirrel, he literally doesn't hear you. There's just a roaring in his head of adrenaline and squirrel. There's no room left for you. So your timing was late, so you set him up for failure, and you set yourself up for failure, yourself and dog. So what we need, timing is key. Timing is everything for direction, correction, and praise. You have to be in it on the heartbeat that it's happening. And if you can even anticipate it, that's even better. That shows better skills on your part. Awesome advice as always, Elizabeth. As always, you know, we highly recommend uh, your guys' training DVD, which can be found at tenderfoottraining.com. And of course, if uh, anyone is in uh, Boulder, Colorado, and they want one-to-one, you know, you guys are the experts. So uh, we always like to refer to you guys because it's just so logical and everything makes sense. That's what we try for, because <laughs> that's what makes sense to the dog. So thanks so much, as always, uh, for doing this, Elizabeth. And uh, we know we'll be speaking to you guys, as usual, again in the really short future. We will talk to you soon. Okay, thank you. And I'd like to thank Elizabeth of uh, TenderfootTraining.com one last time for that great interview. She and her husband, Doug, have been doing interviews with us for a few years now, and we always appreciate their great logical insight. As mentioned, they have a wicked good DVD that I highly recommend. It can be found at TenderfootTraining.com, and the link, of course, is going to go in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening, everyone. If you want to get these podcasts automatically, then you could just uh, click one of the links on the front page of our blog, that's pets.ca forward slash blog, and then every time we put one of these out, you will get it automatically. Thanks again for listening, everyone. We hope you tune in again in the future. And as always, uh, before saying goodnight to your pets tonight, give them one extra scratchy under the chin from Marco. Thanks so much, everyone, and happy holidays. Bye.